I've been looking for a good time. I've been looking every day. I've been waiting for the sunshine. It's been coming my way. And oh, oh, oh. it's been coming my way. I've been dancing at a hold down. Love to chew the fat with folk I've been sipping on the moonshine I've been telling dirty jokes And oh, oh, oh It's been coming my way Hi, you guys. Welcome. Richard Sachs on Lost Arts Radio. You're back with us. And this is a discussion that we're going to have today that I've been waiting for for a couple of years to find somebody who would be willing to do it with me, who had a background in the area of climate science and related issues. And this is about what's come up recently in uh, government and many agencies saying that if we don't have nuclear war or something else serious, get in our way to end civilization that we're all going to die. Uh, I think the consensus is by 2030 in about seven years, some of the outliers said we might survive for 10 years, but might as well be prepared for seven. And we've had prominent members of Congress in the U.S. and officials in other countries all agree. So I wanted to say, well, that's an interesting theory, but is it actually based on anything true? Or should we be terrified as they say that we should? So I was looking for somebody who would talk to me about that, who was qualified, and I found Dr. H. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute, which is a great place we'll talk about. And he's got a long bio and qualifications that are great, including being the director of the um, Arthur B. Robinson Center for uh, Climate and Environmental Policy, I think is the correct name. Yep. It's also got a great podcast that I was fortunate to hear several of the broadcasts from and uh, going over a wide range of issues. We'll talk about how to find that because I think you'd enjoy it. And we're going to get right to the beginning of it. But before we do, um, I want to welcome Sterling to the broadcast, Dr. Burnett, and say, let's go over your background a little bit so people know it's just not us talking about gossip and stuff like that. What's How do you come to know something about climate and the environment and what's your background in respect to that. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. I look my forward pleasure. to our conversation today. Sure. Um, so my background, uh, fifth generation Texan, very proud of it. Neat. Uh, okay. But uh, I got a dual bachelor's degree in business administration and cultural anthropology. Okay. Uh, then uh, I had a lot of economics training uh, as part of the business degree. Uh, and I did not wish to become an economist. However, I I worked for economists when I got out, mm. and they thought uh, I'd make a great economist. But I thought that they had made the case for liberty from an economic perspective, and I thought it needed to be made from a moral perspective. So, oh, um, I mean, yeah. Well, see, you know, I I know these economists that say, "Hey, it's a science, so it's not normative." 
But then they make claims like, well, we have the moral high ground. That's as normative as you can get. And and I knew what they meant. They meant what, that markets were more efficient at satisfying desires than than communism or yeah, socialism, that, 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 you know, that they produce plenty. Right. Um, but as I pointed out to my my uh, peer, my mentor who wanted me to be an economist, uh, one of the ones that wanted me to be an economist, when my friends come home from work one day and their kid has been caught cheating on a test uh-huh. and they're upset about it, they're not upset because he did it inefficiently. Right. Uh, that that it, it wasn't a matter of. If only you hadn't gotten caught, it would be okay. No, there's something wrong uh, about it. They didn't want their kid to cheat, no matter how good his grades reflected. So there's something beyond efficiency for morals. So I decided to become a philosopher. Uh, My master's and PhD Mm, is in applied philosophy. At the time I was at Bowling Green, they had the best applied philosophy program in the country, if not the world. Mm and uh, by applied philosophy, it means you're not talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen or more esoteric things, though there were philosophers that graduated from there that went on to academia and did just that. Or how um, do you deal with situations in real life? I that's think. right. It's, 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 it's uh, applying philosophical concepts to real life issues. And so you got you know, legal ethics and medical ethics, life and death decisions in the hospitals. And, right, right. And, and, and I specialized in environmental ethics. Part of my training, because we didn't have to do a language mm-hmm. uh, to get our PhD, we could do technical work. And so my work was all in the sciences, biology, statistics, uh, geographical information systems, because I knew that my interest was environmental issues. So my background is in science and uh, ethics, and when I got out, I started working at a think tank, and now I'm working at a different think tank, working on environmental uh, policy issues, and have been doing so now between the two, nine years going on at Heartland and uh, 18 years before that at uh, the National Center for Policy Analysis, and before that, I had been um, part-time or as interns at, at several other Think tanks. It's interesting that you mixed ethics with science because that's one of my main complaints about what they call science now is it's missing that component. Well, right. I, I typically find that they say they they are missing that component, but then they slip a lot of biases and and ethical thoughts about how the world should be run into their science. I mean, so you know, it, it is I, an ethical belief system. It's just a different one. So yeah, saying. yeah. I mean, you know, well, look, uh, what where does economics come from? Well, it comes from uh, utilitarianism, which is a philosophical uh, system. Uh, the first economist, the first person thought of as an economist, a guy named Adam Smith. Mm-hmm. He wasn't an economist. He was the chair of moral philosophy. <laughs> his first his first book was the theory of moral sentiments. So. Uh, the whole modern science of economics actually is built upon philosophy. Right. And the truth is, when you talk about medical science or legal ethics or journalistic ethics uh, and, and, you know, medical research, how many ethical issues come up in that? If you, if you thought it was pure science, by which I mean, if you thought that there were no rights and wrongs about how it is conducted – 
Just like I, mathematics or something, I, right? Yeah, I, yeah, that's right. Mathematics is one place where maybe ethics has nothing to say, but about almost every other thing in life, yeah, uh, that's not true. So two and two is four, regardless of your belief system. That's correct. But there are very few other things that that's true of. What got you interested in the environmental aspect? Um, hmm. Well, for as long as I can remember, I have really been a big proponent of liberty. Mm-hmm. And I've really cared a lot about environmental issues. I remember when I was a child, um, and I mean, you know, a fairly young child, five, six, seven years old. Uh, we moved to a new neighborhood and um, we were surrounded by horse pastures everywhere. Mm, okay. But it was a rapidly developing area. And so while during my time there up through high school, I saw almost every horse pasture in or around me. Turned into a subdivision. Turned into a subdivision or a shopping block. Okay, right. And when I saw the new ones go up and the, the, the barbed wire go down and the new uh, construction starting, I would literally throw fi- – I'd go into fits. And yeah. my goal was to earn lots and lots and lots of money. I, I, I didn't. I hadn't specified how that was going to happen, but I was going to rescue the horses. I was going to. No, no, no. It wasn't about the horses per se. It was about the land that I loved. Oh. And so I was going to buy all that land back and tell everyone that they had thirty days to move out of their house because I'd bought it now, and then I was going to put it back the way it was because I liked it that way. How wonderful! it, It never occurred to me once, however, even as I got older and realized that that wasn't going to work. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the law might put some restraints on me bulldozing a house um, mm. that uh, that I should get the government to do my bidding for me. I always recognized this was a preference I had. Right. It was my desire. It was my belief that these things should be protected. Yeah. Um, I never thought that just because I cared about those things, I should be able to use the government to enforce my will on everybody else. So mm-hmm. that's how I got into doing what I'm doing today. Okay. Because I see the environment, I, you know, the, the wall fell uh, at the end of uh, Reagan and early, early first Bush. The wall fell and the world discovered communism wasn't a utopia. Right. Uh, you know, how they didn't discover that before, I don't know. But it Well, they're very, undiscovering it to some degree now again. So there's no question about it. There's no question about it. It, it. Well, you know, Thomas Jefferson was right. Each generation has to learn these kinds of things anew. So, Wouldn't it be a lot better if you could learn from the last generation and get better and better and better? Well, we always are, but then we ignore some of the good stuff that they teach us, right? Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't have the science today if we hadn't been built upon the, you know, what is it? We sit upon the shoulders of giants. Yeah, some of it is working that way. And so um, after the wall fell, how did the communists, uh, you know, we, some of my friends call them watermelons. They're, red on the, they're green on the outside and red on the inside. How do you mm-hmm. get power? How do you accrue power if uh, um, you can't do it through the, the former means that people aren't don't have plenty, they don't have full bellies, they don't have things like that, that all that communism promised. Right. And it's to save the environment, man. That's the cause. Yeah. And so I wasn't prepared to allow the environment, which I cared about, to be used to uh, uh, impose authoritarian dictates on people. 
you found the same thing that I did, which is that there are two totally different versions of environmentalism. One cares about the nature and wanting to keep everything healthy and, you know, in good shape and, and not poisoned. And the other side uh, uses that as an excuse to cut off liberty completely. Yeah. Which is happening. They, 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 have a, they have a vision of what nature should be. And some somehow it goes back to as far as I can tell around the 1820s or, or, or around there is what, what it should be with buffalo still roaming everywhere and people living close to the land and no indoor plumbing, except they exempt themselves from all those things. It's the hoi polloi need to live more simply while uh-huh. we continue to fly around the world in private jets. Yeah, exactly. And so they say things. They say things like, uh, you know, uh, the ideal human population is 200 million people or the carrying capacity of the earth is 1 billion people. Well, okay, how do you get there from here? You kill a lot of people. You let a lot of people die. It's actually quite simple, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't give them medicines. You don't give them access to energy. You don't let them grow food with modern technologies. And or you, you, or you, you give them medicine. You can, uh, to be fair, you can also give them medicines that make them sick and kill them. That works well, too. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure that that is. I don't know enough about that, but I mean, you know, that's why so many environmentalists admire China, despite the fact yeah. that it's destroying the environment as fast as they can, because they have strict population control and control over their people, and that's what they aspire to here. Yeah, it's it's already being put in place. Yep. So. It's really interesting to watch. So what about uh, the idea that is seven years accurate that global warming is going to kill us? <laughs> I think that's high on a lot of people's mind. Well, we, yeah, you know, AOC. What are they going to do Alexander in their last Ocasio seven years? Cortez. Well, look, if they're right, truly, if they're right about climate change being yeah. the end of the world, yeah, they have predicted its ends. They're like a death cult. They're like a, 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 a death cult uh, or a, uh, uh, what is, uh, you know, sort of a millennial cult, right? The God I mean, they is coming make a back. mistake by setting the year in stone. Yeah, they set the year because they've set it, by the way, you know, so 2030 is the current, 2035, 2050. Those yeah. are the current deadlines, but yeah. they've set many other deadlines and they've all gone past and the media ignores their lies, ignores their failures of prediction, right. and pretends like, well, this time we're right. You know, they're chicken little. And well, yeah. 150 years ago, this is people stood on the street corners in major metropolitan areas with placards, with signs saying, "The repent, the end is near. Yeah. And most people cross the street to avoid them. Now right. these guys are invited into the halls of Congress to testify. Right. right. And, this, and it's the same sin. It's human sin. You know, before it was the original sin. Now mm-hmm. it's the human sin of development using fossil fuels. Right, exactly. And it's the same, uh, res- well, it's not exactly the same response because if you're believing Christianity to get forgiveness, you have to live a better life and ask Christ. Right. Uh, for this, to get forgiveness, you have to pay penance and give up fossil fuels and live in a hair shirt. Well, and it really helps if you can give up exhaling too. Well, that's right. That's right. So I used to have a I I, I, I it, no and sadly 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 it's true I used to have a colleague and friend named Jay Lair he died earlier this year mm, okay. and uh, Dr Jay Lair used to every, every lecture he went to he was the first person to receive uh, a PhD in um, 
I don't know, water, something to do with water, uh, ge- water geology or something. And, and mm-hmm. he, he was one of the people there on the ground floor where the EPA was formed, uh, something he came to regret later in life. But um, he used to go to every lecture he went to. He'd carry a, a CO2 reader. And then he'd say, um, what is de- you know, what levels are CO2 deadly at? And they say, oh, 500 parts per million, 400 parts per million, they tell us. Uh, right. I mean, so many people are dying now, it must be 412 or something. Yeah, yeah. And, and so he'd say, okay. Let's take the reading in this classroom today. And it'd always be around 550 to 700 parts per million. So because did everybody run enclo- for the exit? You're, you're in an enclosed space and people are exhaling everybody. Yeah, yeah. So he'd say, okay, hold it up to your face. And you'd hold it up to your face. You'd breathe out and 1,500 parts per million are coming out of your chest. Right. So clearly 400 parts per million ain't killing anybody. Not yet. Um, yeah. And, you know, so his first point would be made. Yeah. Which is that it's not a pollutant, it's not toxic, it's a naturally it's a natural gas that you exhale every time you breathe. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um I think one of the reasons that it's considered to be poisonous is that everybody knows that when CO two goes up, global temperature gets so hot everything dies. And I think you have a graph addressing that, right? Well before yeah, we show yeah. before we show the graphic do you, any comment that you want to make on that? Because well, that's kind of assumed. The, 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 yeah, the, the claim is Al Gore's got this beautiful graphic in his movie. Uh, Un- uh, inconvenient Truth. An Inconvenient Truth, right? Uh-huh. And it shows CO2 levels over the last, uh, I think it's 800,000 years. Now, now, mind you, no one was measuring CO2 800,000 years ago. We've only yeah. been measuring it. Really, for about 40 years, but so, they use proxy data to reconstruct what CO2 was like in the past. And they show temperatures and they show CO2 and it goes and then it just starts going up like a hockey stick. What's proxy data before you go to the next sentence? Uh, proxy data is like they look at um, they'll take ice core drillings. Uh-huh. And they'll measure the molecules of uh, the ratios of oxygen to other uh, chemicals like CO2. Uh, and and assume that that's tied to a particular temperature at that time. Oh, they'll look at uh, shell middens. They'll look at uh, tree rings and see. Oh, okay. It doesn't measure CO2 per se, but it indicates wet and dry years, growth. Plants do better when there's more CO2. So right. it, it, it shows growth, you know, high growth years. And so they use that as a proxy for temperatures that we didn't measure. Okay. A long time Got it. Ago. Got it. So uh, they reconstruct past temperatures, and uh, they ignore inconvenient temperatures. You know, you talk about inconvenient truths. Yeah, uh, yeah. We had temperatures as high or higher than they are today a 1,000 years ago during what was called the uh, Roman Warm Period. I mean, 2,000 years ago. Okay. Um, we had temperatures as high or higher than they are today a 1,000 years ago when Vikings first permanent set up permanent settlements on Greenland. Uh now, those permanent settlements ceased to be permanent when the ice came back and we had a little ice age. Right. And, and they had to abandon Greenland. Um, yeah. Wasn't but, green anymore. Yeah, it wasn't that green. And so we've had temperature fluctuations. But Al Gore's hockey stick wipes out all of the temperature fluctuations and just shows them as if they're constant and then CO2. So his level of mastery of science must have been way beyond everybody else. <laughs> Get that. 
uh, it, 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 the people who taught him science must have been turned over in their graves when he did that, especially since he referenced some of them. Uh, his, his hero, he took and realized this meant the end of the world if we don't, we didn't repent. Um, because, uh, Roger Ravel, who was his teacher, yeah, uh, the, the last paper he published said, <laughs> the, the earth's warming, humans are probably contributing to it, and it's not the end of the world. Um, which was, by the way, the guy who discovered the greenhouse effect, uh-huh. Sven Arrhenius, that was his take on it. Because he said, warmer world, more CO2, good for plants, good for plants, good for crops, good for crops, good for feeding people on earth. So he thought it would be a good thing if the earth warmed. And uh, go ahead. Sorry. And just so much crossing my mind at once. Um, maybe it was an inconvenient truth, but didn't it show the uh, horrible onset of the breaking up of the glaciers and the edges of Antarctica and that uh, the North Pole would be ice free within a few years and that all the polar bears were obviously dying? Yeah. Polar bears are increasing despite uh, uh, their worries about sea ice. Uh, Florida is not underwater, despite uh, images in his film showing Florida underwater, despite sure. some prominent climate scientists uh, claiming in the um, in the 70s or 80s that by 2000, uh, water uh, would be on New York streets. Yeah, that, that, exactly. That water levels would per- permanently be above much of Manhattan. Streets. Yeah. So um, people have reported once again, wrong and wrong others. again. But but the truth of the matter is, uh, we know that CO2 is, at any foreseeable level, is not dangerous, hazardous to us directly. The, 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 the real argument is, well, will a warmer world be bad for us? And so, but right. you've, got, you've got this, the, the question is, is, does CO2 really drive temperatures? Because if you remember Al Gore's film, temperatures seem to be rising right along with CO2. Right. And, and what, you know, when you broke, even when you broke his stuff out, it turns out that, uh, CO2 levels typically rose 200 years after temperatures started rising. So it was a different kind Mm. of cause and effect. It was temperatures rose and that caused plants to bring in more CO2, but also to respire more. It, it, it reduced uh, ice coverage, which meant more reflection and more plants. Mm-hmm. And, and then CO2 rose. The, the yeah. oceans release CO2 when it, it gets hotter. So it was a, a different cause and effect. But, okay, you, but, but that's he ignored if that. That's if that concern about sequence, which comes first, that is built on the premise that they do track each other. That's right. That there's and that's a, cause, a question. That there's causation between the two. Yeah. And and what the long term geological history of the Earth indicates, as this graphic that that you're about to show indicates, yeah. Yeah. is that not only is there no causation between CO2 and temperatures, there's no correlation even. Is, is it one does not track the other, not for 10 years or 20 years or a thousand years, but for hundreds of millions of years. So we have to caution people against looking at this graphic, because if you're not careful and, and 
defensive about it, you could become a climate denier. And we've heard that those are really dangerous mm-hmm. anti-science people yeah. who go by the facts and things like that. So, okay, to see what you're talking about that they don't exactly track, um, let's see if we can put up that graphic. Okay, so. So, so you know, there it is. It's, this uh, is different than what you were describing that Al was showing. Exactly. So you've got CO2 in blue and uh, temperature in red. Over how many millions of years? Well, over 570 million years. Um, and, and here, here, here you are. Does anyone, I mean, can anyone honestly look at that graphic and see causation or correlation? Uh, what, what we know, I mean, what the truth is about CO2 is that it it has something called a saturation effect beyond a certain point. It does no more trapping of, uh, of, uh, of heat. It has no more effect on temperature. That's why greenhouses don't put unlimited CO2 into their greenhouses. It, they the found warming the effect, ideal concentration. Yeah, the, the warming effect diminishes after a certain amount. So here you have really high CO2 levels in the Precambrian levels. Not Levels not seen anytime since. But temperatures are at a nadir. They're about where they are now. And yet the CO2 levels are around 7,000 parts per million. We're talking... 400 parts per million now, 412. Right. It so, starts to drop, and at the same time as temperatures are rising. Here, you know, it's like you just look at it all the way. Now, what's really interesting and scary, if you think about it, remember, CO2 is the uh, molecule of life, if you want to say. We are all carbon-based life forms. There may, you know, I've seen Star Trek. There may be silicon life forms somewhere on Earth, but they yeah. ain't here. Yeah, they haven't uh, succeeded in that yet. Um, what what there are here is carbon-based life forms. And plants absolutely need carbon dioxide to survive. And o- over the long history of the Earth, you can see, Mm-hmm. Carbon dioxide has largely been drawing down slowly. You know, it goes up and down. It goes up and down. But slowly but surely, it's always trending downward. Now, what does that mean for plants? During the middle of the last ice age, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, based on the proxy data that I've described before, was approximately 180 parts per million, the lowest it had ever reached. You're talking like, what, 20,000 years ago or something like that? No, 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 even earlier. So in the, it, 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 maybe probably uh, maybe maybe 80,000 years ago. Okay. Um, so 180 parts per million. You say, well, what does that mean to me? Well, I'll tell you what it means. At 150 parts per million, plants cease to be able to conduct a photosynthesis. And if plants can't uh, undertake photosynthesis, they die. And if plants die, everything else on Earth that relies on plants die too. That's below 180 parts per million? 150 parts per million. We were down to 180 parts per million. And the estimates were, if we hadn't started adding, or first off, if we hadn't come out of the Ice Age and we had a warming after that, Uh, or we had a warming that started the end of the Ice Age, uh, despite the fact it wasn't a uh, 
there wasn't a power plant or uh, uh, an automobile on the road at that time because there were no roads. Right. Um, we came out of an ice age and CO2 started to rise and it leveled off around 270 to 280 parts per million in the atmosphere at the time we hit the Industrial Revolution. Still really low. Still really low by historic standards. I mean, dramatically low. I mean, you can rarely find throughout the long geologic history levels below a thousand and no time in geologic history levels we've had for the past five or six million years. So uh, what science indicated that was, you know, people talk all the time that the earth's going to burn out eventually. And when it does, we're all toast if Mm -hmm. we don't find a new planet. I've heard that a lot. And it's, it's almost certainly true. Suns burn out. Um, but long before the sun was predicted to burn out, CO2 would have drawn down out of the atmosphere and we'd be dead anyway. Because they estimate that over the next two million years, had CO2 started not going up, mm-hmm. that's how long it would have taken to go from 180 parts per million to 150 parts per million. 200 million, 200 million years? No, the, the next two million years. Two million years. Okay. Two million years. Relatively short in geologic times right you know long in terms of human history short in geologic times interesting so we came out of the ice age co2 levels started to go up and then we started added to it there's no no one uh, there may be some people out there dispute humans are adding co2 to the atmosphere i'm not one of them and i don't work with people who believe that right it seems clear so it's pretty clear we're adding CO2 to the atmosphere. The question is not whether we're adding CO2. The question is, is that causing dramatic, unprecedented temperature rise? And if it is, and even if it is, is it dangerous for us? Right. And the evidence suggests that higher temperatures are better for life than mm-hmm. lower temperatures. More CO2 is better for life than lower temperatures. What's going on during all these periods here? Was there life on Earth? Was, was Earth a lifeless rock during all those periods? No. The evidence is plant life was lush. There were yeah. forests and jungles everywhere. And you know what else was everywhere? Really big animals called dinosaurs. Yeah, right. Right? You talk about when dinosaurs ruled the Earth? When dinosaurs ruled the Earth, temperatures were much higher than today. And CO2 levels sometimes could be higher and sometimes could be about the same. But what, what didn't, I mean, here CO2 levels are still higher. You know, if you, if you look at the Jurassic period, we always hear about the Jurassic period. That wasn't the only period of dinosaurs, but that was the one we always talk about. Yeah. During the Jurassic period, CO2 levels were much higher than they are today. You know, parts, parts, uh, parts per million higher. Right. Um, but temperatures were a lot, lot higher than they are today. And it didn't seem to be bad for life. Yeah. Interesting. The, the other thing that. Is being reportedly caused by uh, global warming is radical destabilization of weather patterns. I've heard that. I just have haven't seen any evidence of it. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I often hear uh, that uh, global warming uh, is causing more and more powerful hurricanes, and then I say, okay, well, let's go to the data because uh, yeah, exactly. these cla- these these claims are always made. Based on computer model projections. Yeah. Let me, let's talk about computer models just before we get to the weather. Let's talk about computer models for a second. So computer models have been around for a few decades now. Let's say 
computer models of the climate, let's say five decades. I think that's being generous. I don't think they've been around that long, but okay. let's say five decades. They started worrying about uh, climate change actually in the 70s. At the time, they were worried about global cooling because they thought the next ice age was coming. I remember. Yeah. And they were writing about that. Um, but CO2 levels started going up dramatically after the 50s. That's when we really started industrializing heavily, right? Cars mm-hmm. became right. common. Uh, you know, all the you, you t- coal-fired power plants were coming online around the world. Uh, so anyway, CO2 started rising. They were worried about the next ice age, but then they started worrying about the next uh, about global warming. And um, they built these computer models to predict what would happen if CO2 kept going up and how it would impact temperatures because they they believed that there was this direct causal link between CO2 and temperatures and that CO2 was the driver. And so that's built in. That's the assumption built into the computer models. The model just extrapolates on the variable inputs that you give it, right? Yeah, the assumptions you built into it. Yeah. And so they build these models. And the models say, oh, yeah, we get warming if you keep pumping CO2. And if you if you, you stay on the present course, it will be disaster because the models are then used to predict sort of follow-on, knock-on impacts of warming. So right, right, if right. it warms, how will it affect hurricanes? If it warms, how will it affect – and what are the feedback mechanisms? Because some of the warming comes from feedback. If it warms, the permafrost melts, releases methane – Releases CO2. Okay. Well, more, more warming. Right. But that um, model is built on the assumption that's put in that warming and CO2 go together, right? Otherwise, the model that's not the only assumption, but that's one of the assumptions, right? That's and, one, and yeah. the assumption and, and, and it's built on really complex mathematics. Right. Uh, so if, if you get mm. one little thing wrong, it can mess up the whole, uh, projection. They don't call them predictions. They call them projections. So we have 40 years of climate model projections. And to test them, they hindcast them. So they, they say, okay, let's run it backwards and see how it compares to the past. But it turns out climate models without being forced to don't match the past climate at all, past temperatures. So that data is eliminated, I suspect. So, so, so what they do is they force it to. They say, okay, well, the model's not working, so we're just going to make it fit. You can adjust the data. We're just going to adjust the data until we get it to where it matches. Okay. Adjusted sounds really scientific. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in, in any other scientific discipline, if you're, uh, you, you produce a, a theory to explain a certain phenomena and then you test a theory against reality. And if reality, if you predict X, Y, and Z, and instead it's L, M, and Q that directly mm-hmm. contradict X, Y, and Z, you probably need to reconsider your theory. It's not the data that's wrong. It's your theory, not in climate science. Uh, it, it, climate science can't be wrong. No matter what the prediction is, if it's wrong, then we, what we do is we start adjusting the data to fit. Well, that's back to your efficiency model. <laughs> Except I don't think it's very efficient in the pursuit of knowledge to be adjusting a data to fit a theory. Right. Uh, in any case, so uh, they force it to fit the past. And they say, well, what about the present? Well, it's running too hot in the present. The models are way hotter than the temperature is in response to all this CO2. Well, we force it to fit the present. Right. So they don't get the past right. They don't get the present right. But we're told to trust their projections of the future. That makes sense because eventually it should turn out to be right. Yeah, you know, the, the coin flip's going to turn. Pretty soon, heads, tails come up. 
right. uh, but at least for a short period of time, right? Well, look, we all, we all, it, all of your listeners have experience with weather predictions. Yeah. Whether you watch it on TV, listen on the radio, read the newspaper, you know, whatever you do, I'm sure someone sometime has heard somebody make a prediction about rainfall this week or rainfall tomorrow yeah. or rainfall today. Or temperatures this week, or temperatures tomorrow, temperatures. And we know that that's not a perfect science. Right. It's, it's probably gotten better since I was a kid. I don't know. I didn't, I have never gone back and, uh, you know, watch all, some of the old forecasts and compared them to what the temperatures were. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing it's probably gotten better. Uh, but still, I, I you know, not a locally. large percentage, a large percentage of the time you will find like last week in Dallas, we were we, we were projected to have rain almost every day. Right. We didn't. Folks. Well, you know what their out is, though, unless they predict a hundred percent chance, even if it's ninety nine or fifty one or whatever, and it doesn't rain, they say, "See, it was right. We didn't say a hundred. Yeah, but they'll tell you. Uh, but they also say, "Look, meteorologists are typically don't have so much hubris that they don't admit the farther out their predictions, their projections are the less reliable they are, the less certain they can be about them. Right. Right. So we, we know we can't always predict the next today's or the next days, even less. So next week's even less. So two weeks and a month out. And yet we're told to trust these models they're supposed to tell us what the temperatures and the impact of those temperatures are going to be 15, 100 years from now. Right. And it's not an issue of how much they're off. It's the fact that there's no correlation. Yeah. I mean, it's it's implausible. It's just simply implausible. And so, um, well, I got off on the models and you wanted me to, oh, about weather stuff. So it's like, look, they make projections. They've They've done this consistently since... Since 1988, different, and, and certainly since 1990, when under George Bush the senior, um, we signed the the first climate treaty um, in Brazil. Right. They have made projections. So that 1990 is 33 years of projections ago now, and they have made these projections, and they have said pretty consistently. Hurricanes should be more frequent and more powerful. Uh, They don't make a lot of projections about tornadoes because tornadoes are really chaotic events. But they say um, wildfires should be more frequent and more powerful. Drought should be more frequent. Not should. They say they are. Well, they say they are, but the projections don't say they are. The projections say they should be. And then okay, the right. people who say they are is the press and and right. the uh, uh, the bottom Univers- paid for scientists universities uh, are teaching yeah who say who who say who say see that we get a warm day see that's what the model said would happen that's right well extremely um, cold days are global warming too well that's that's, that's why it's not a, that's why I think it's not a science but a religion because every any outcome is a result of climate change that's why they stopped talking about global warming right. Uh, they'd hold hearings on supposedly global warming days when it was snowing outside and they had to cancel the hearings. And so it's like, well, well, let's just quit talking about warming, even though warming drivers it. Yeah. Climate change covers everything. So if it's, if it's too, if it's warmer than usual, it's warming. If it's colder than usual, it's warming. If hurricanes aren't happening as frequently, it's warming. If they are happening 
more frequently it's warming. They can't lose. Well, that's not science. That's religion. If, mm-hmm. if it's infallible, if it can't be tested and in, at least in theory, disproven, it's not science. Right. Right. So, so the basic bottom line of CO2 and global warming and climate change is that the core, it depends on the correlation between CO2 and global temperature. And global weather, like you said, more frequent hurricanes and floods and droughts and everything. If that's not there, the whole thing is bogus, and it doesn't take a genius to see that. You don't have to have five PhDs or anything. Well, let me ask you this. Let's run a little experiment for the people that uh, listen to you. Um, We are told that 1.5 degrees is a tip is is disaster. Yeah. Temperature change. Yeah. Or or. Two degrees. They, they they make it up. They, they, there's no. They they can't provide any evidence that that particular point is the point beyond which runaway warming and runaway disasters occur. They can't right. make that. They, they they can't show that. But they make it up and they assert it. So they've asserted 1.5 degrees. Let me ask your audience this: um, Do temperatures typically fluctuate more than 1.5 degrees in any place you live in a day? No, if they do, everybody dies. Well, that's the theory. Uh, but I, I haven't, I, I, I keep testing it by waking up every morning and I find <laughs> it not to be true. Okay. So when people retire, when people retire, mm-hmm. do they typically move to Fargo, North Dakota and, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Minnesota? Most of them try to retire to places like Greenland because it's much healthier. Yeah, yeah. I see a lot of people going to Alaska to retire. Exactly. No, what, what we see is people moving south. Yeah. Uh, to Crossville, Tennessee, for instance. It's become a big resort community since or Florida. Florida. Florida, the Alabama coast, Texas. Yeah. Uh, the point is, temperatures don't seem to be driving people away in droves. Or killing them. Or killing them. Uh, you'd think... With all the people who retired from New York City and and the, the East Coast down to Florida, mm-hmm. Florida would be depopulated by now, right? If temperatures were uh, the death knell. So, one point five degrees is no tipping point, but uh, and and so no one's really. I mean, even even the climate scientists aren't worried about the amount of temperature. They're worried about the knock on effects. What will those that modest temperature change do? Right. Um, and so it's how will it affect the weather? The problem is they make projections and predictions mm-hmm. about the weather. Based and on none assumption. of them based on assumptions, and none of them have proven to be true. It's you know what this gets into too, and I'm sure you're involved in looking at this, is the whole idea of what education has become. Because ideally education is connected to science no matter what the subject is. It's supposed to be based on the ability to use critical thinking and intuition and put them together Ooh. and observation and see what's happening and see, make, make hypotheses about what it means, what your yeah. observations mean and then testing them. And instead, what's been happening, cause I've been in the educational world for a long time and you're, you're treading it, dangerous ground here. Uh, I know it telling the critical truth. Critical thinking. Through. My goodness. I know that's, uh, that's basically in, in domestic the, terrorism. Yeah. In the Orwellian yeah. world, that's, uh, you know, in Newspeak, that's, that gets you 
put and up against the wall. It's absolutely racist. So I realize how dangerous it is. But uh, I, I'm taking the liberty to broach the subject because your podcasts get into un- unacceptable subjects, too, and no no one is arrested for it yet. Indeed. So what I'm saying is the new model of education, speaking of models, is learn what to have blind faith in, typically government agencies and authority figures, and then just start repeating it. And this goes from preschool up to PhD and MD level, and you learn Whatever your subject is, you learn what agency is the infallible source of truth, and you repeat what they say. And then if you want to have a discussion with another scientist, you want to make sure you have no opinion and no emotion about any of it, and you repeat an acceptable source of truth. And then you say, thanks for the good discussion. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah, really, no, it's, it's really the, developed. The world is upside down here. Um, yeah. Uh, we, 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 uh, somehow we leapt through the looking glass when I was asleep, and um, right the um, like you say, critical thinking. It's not that there are no facts; there are facts that should be taught in school. Yeah, uh, but they've been proven by test testing. I accept mathematical truths, yeah. and. Pretty much, math should be taught by rote. But, to be clear, there are mathematical problems that have not been solved yet. Right. You can't teach those. You have to have thinking. Well, and Schools, there, there when is I was a, raised... There is a logical explanation to some of that rote stuff, too. Yeah. No, but there, there is, yeah. But it's not that... I don't care how what culture you're from, what belief system you hold, about uh, the afterlife or, uh, you know, deities. Two plus two should always equal four. One plus one should always equal two. Uh, I don't want an engineer making a plane that I fly in who, because of cultural reasons, has been told by his teachers, no, 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 those are, there's no absolute truths. Two plus two might equal three. Right, and it depends okay. a lot on how that's you're okay. feeling it's, that day. It's, yeah, exactly. It just depends on how you feel about it. Now, right. that plane, I don't want to be in. <laughs> that bridge, I don't want to be crossing over, built right. by that guy. Right. Um, so there are facts and there are truths, uh, and there are better and worse ways of behaving and of interacting. And we can tell that because it gets us in less trouble. It helps us prosper more. Right. It, uh, it, it causes less social conflict and more cohesion. Less suffering. Uh, less suffering. And uh, used to what, at least when I was growing up in school, they taught me how to think about things. Like you say, critical exactly. thinking, reasoning, exactly. not what to think about things. Yeah. They, their hope was they'd teach me how to think. They'd present me with some ideas. And I would come to the conclusion that, gee, these guys are right about this. Right, right. But if I happen to come to a different conclusion, I'd be expected to have to defend my different conclusion. When was what year was that happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been it's Jurassic been longer, period long, longer, <laughs> longer than I'd hate to admit, but not as far back as the Jurassic period. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Really uh, that's not, 
what that's not how it goes today. You know, the people at the top of the system know that. They understand it. They're not, they're not in the same brainwashed mentality as the general public. And they're doing it. And it, I think it's a mistake to understand that there's, assume that there's no motive. You know, maybe we don't know what no. the motive is, but we do know that it affects policy and affects what they can enforce. Well, I, I assume that there is a motive all the time uh, when I see government in action, and that motive is to expand its own power. Yeah. Government, you know, I think it was, uh, I forget, I think it was Acton, but I could be wrong uh, because I'm getting old and forgetful. Uh, but um, I his think it was Acton. His first name was Lord. Lord. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, he was a Lord. That's not his first name. It was, I don't know. I forget what his first name is. His title was Lord Acton. And right. I believe he said um, uh, government is is force. Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not negotiation. It's not uh, uh, compromise. It is force. Yeah. And um, people attracted to government don't go there because they want to expand people's freedom. They go there either because, in my opinion, I could be proven wrong. I haven't been yet, but I might be uh, because I believe in science. Uh-huh. Um, in, in my estimation, there are a few people who really go into government uh, to serve. That, yeah. And they're all called perfect service, to serve, to do what the people want. But That's right. The vast majority go there to either aggrandize themselves, profit at the expense of others, right? not necessarily financially, but by wielding power over others. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about politicians here. I'm talking about bureaucrats. I'm talking about the whole infrastructure of government. Yeah. And then there are those who go to government because they have a vision of how the world should be. They know what's good for themselves and, by extension, you. They know best what's good for you. And they're more dangerous than the people that are just up there trying to aggrandize themselves. Right. Because they might be sated just with enough money and enough power. Uh, but the people who are, who are enforcing laws on you for your own good, they've got clean consciences. Right. Right. You know, so they, they, if, if we can take from your <clears throat> previous reasoning that there's no correlation that would indicate the climate change is real. And yet they're staying with the narrative that it is to, to an incredible degree. I mean, it's in all the universities. It's, well, wait, wait, wait. I never said climate change wasn't real. Well, no, it's constant. I know. Yeah. It, it constant, right. Climate change, climate change happens. That's why we don't anthropomorphic have the anymore. Cli- anthropomorphic yeah. climate human caused catastrophic climate change. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to kill us in seven years or whatever. There's a reason that they're promoting that in an incredibly organized global fashion and not to say what the top level motive is, but you can see what it does to policy and what kind of laws can, can be passed and enforced. So what, what would you say those patterns are? Uh, less freedom of consumer choice. Okay. Uh, the, the government decides what you can drive 
or if you can drive or where yeah. you can drive, right? what means of transport you can use. Uh, always exempting themselves, by the way. I mean, the, the, they, 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 yeah, yeah, the yeah. elites that do that never impose these rules on themselves. Or I should yeah. say they impose it on themselves, but they aren't affected by it. So if they take away 66% of the most affordable vehicles, the wealthy can still drive private vehicles. Right. It's, it's just the poor middle class can. So, it, uh, they, they tell you what you can drive. They tell you what your house can, uh, look like. Right. How, how far away from a train station you should be. Right. Um, they tell you what appliances you can have. Yeah. Those are being cut off now. Uh, they tell you, um, whether your lifestyle is allowable. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, they tell you, they tell farmers, we don't want you using certain inputs. So nitrogen, for example. uh, Yeah. Well, yeah. Chemical fertilizers, chemical pesticides, uh, diesel fuel for your tractors. Uh, that's all got to go, but it's going to be okay. Because we're going to go to organic farming, we'll still feed the world. It turns out, no, not so much. It doesn't have it. It doesn't yield as much. Uh, so you can machinery. still do it, yeah, without the machinery and without the chemicals, it, it, the well, yield, the inputs. There, there was a really and, interesting guy named Charles Walters Jr. in uh, Kansas City that I visited decades ago, and his whole focus was how to solve the problem you just mentioned, and he did, and he demonstrated it, um, not totally organic but totally non-toxic and in harmony with nature and he was really you know blocked in a lot of ways but he did demonstrate it but he didn't say to get rid of equipment well i don't know this man i i can't speak to that but i i do have a uh an issue with the idea of in harmony with nature yeah and i'll I tell you I, I, i'll tell you what where it goes back to so uh, remember, my training is as an academic environmental ethicist. Yes. And so the idea is I, I've often hear humans called unnatural. They're a cancer. They're, they're unnatural. We're not acting with nature. So the, the fact is we either have a pre-Darwinian view of mankind, which means we're above nature. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the idea is that God made us special. Right. And so we can't be judged by nature standards, <laughs> whatever right. those are. Right. Or we have a post-Darwinian view of mankind. We're just evolved. And so we are intricately a part of nature. And part of our nature is make is taking one type of ecosystem, one type of chemical makeup, and making it into other things. Yeah, true. We're tool users. Yeah. And we change things. And that's natural so if that is natural then you can't judge the things that we do as unnatural and on the other hand if you take the different point of view we're above nature or supernatural and so you can't also judge us by nature well there's another kind of idea that that uh using chemicals is against nature i I just well no i'm not saying that i'm just saying that um chemicals vary a lot and if you are going to do something that is going to produce more volume of food for a while and it's going to end up making the whole thing not produce anything or so toxic that you can't eat it or survive it. That's not very intelligent in the world. Well, okay. I agree, but, but I'm not sure. 
I, I'll leave it at I agree with that, but I'm not convinced that we're doing that right now. I'm talking about certain kinds of herbicides, atrazine, and other hormone disruptors and things that are causing incredible amounts of damage from the work I've done. And saying that some of that's not necessary and there are better ways. But I I also want to go back to one thing that you mentioned about what you can drive. And one of the things that's been uh, perpetrated by this belief, this religion that you mentioned in climate, anthropomorphic climate change, is the uh, solution of electric cars. Yeah. Which actually are not electric cars. They're nuclear and coal-fired cars that have temporarily changed the energy into a form of electricity at great loss. And they also cause huge environmental problems. Yeah, but but most of those environmental problems are caused in in uh, countries where black and brown people live, so we don't care, right? Well, I mean, partly, but in, in I'm the talking end. about disposal also. Uh, well, disposal. Well, also, you know, if you're talking about wind turbines and solar panels, it's destroying our landscapes. You know, it's yeah. taking up wildland everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's killing birds. It's killing bats. Uh, offshore, it's probably killing whales, even though they haven't erected many wind turbines yet. They're they're testing for it, and that's not good for the whales. Yeah. Um, but you know, most of the real damage <clears throat> from all these wonderful green electric technologies is in China or in the Congo. Uh, the, the so-called Democratic Republic of Congo. Where they mine the rare earth minerals. Where they mine it and they refine it and they destroy, they, they, they create toxic waste. Right. Where they move millions of tons of earth for for a single battery pack. Yeah. Um, and where child and slave labor is commonly used. Right. Um, you know, if you if you care about human rights... And I remember a time when a certain party used to say they were all about human rights. Uh, you can't like green energy because yeah. they it is built on child labor and slavery. And the administration knows this and has admitted it. It also is severely limited in what it can do in its current form. Yeah. No. Right? So the reason the reason coal. And then later oil and natural gas became so popular. Was it because people just love oily stuff and they want to rub coal all over them? Ooh, I just love that coal. I want to eat it. No, that's not why. It's because in a very compact fashion, it's energy dense. It right. can produce a lot of energy densely. Yeah. And, and not just a lot of energy, but reliable energy densely. Right. No green technology can save that. Say that. Solar and wind are not dense at all. They destroy entire countrysides. Yeah. Um, to produce less energy than you get from, certainly less reliable energy than you get from coal, natural gas, and oil. Right. So the more you electrify things, the more you're destroying the environment. You you mean in terms of replacing internal combustion and stuff like Not that? Not just internal combustion, the the power grid. You know, yeah, the cars. If you you go to all electric, you destroy things. Right. Uh, you you offshore a lot of your environmental pollution until you, like you say, you get the waste problems. Um, but the electric grid that has to be built out to replace all the coal and all the nuclear, because for some reason they hate nuclear, um, uh, and all the natural gas. To, to replace all the fossil fuels, and despite the fact that it is the, uh, it's not the oldest form of renewable energy because remember windmills have been around for a long time. 
Right. Not producing electricity, but powering things, nevertheless. And grinding um, of grain and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, grinding grain, powering mills, uh, uh, and draining things, right? Producing yeah. water mm-hmm. in West Texas right. uh, for ranchers and, and keeping the Netherlands from going underwater. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by acting as pumps, so um, wind windmills are not a new technology. Um, but the oldest form of reliable, the oldest, the only reliable form, and the oldest form of renewable technology uh, for electric power production is hydroelectric dams. Yeah, and they're ripping those out as fast as they can. I noticed that. Right, really interesting. I guess they're they're making believe that those are against the environment. Well, they they haven't they have environmental drawbacks. There's no question about that. They slow uh, down, slow down fish migration and stuff. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. They 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 and they they change. Uh, the, well, they change the nature of the ecosystem around it. You know, you don't have a, a canyon with a river running through it. Now you have reservoirs, in a lake, places. right? Yeah, a lake that used to be a field or a forest or something. So yeah. I mean, it, they change things. There's no question about that, but. Um, if you think, if you believe truly in your heart of hearts, believe that climate change is the most important, you know, it's an existential threat, which mm-hmm. I hear all the time, right, uh, right? that it's the most important issue facing us. You wouldn't be ripping out hydroelectric dams or closing nuclear because they ain't putting CO2 into the atmosphere well, and the things that replace them will. Isn't the uh, production of coal, coal generated energy and uh, petrochemical energy. In Western countries, that's gotten to a pretty clean stage now, hasn't it? The the uh, well for criteria pollutants, it's it's wonderful. You know, for your traditional pollutants, the things that cause smog, right, and uh, and and things that bother your lungs, yeah. things like that, that, sulfur that causes acid rain, very very clean now. You know, the, the 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 it's 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 amazing what it's been even since I was young, right? You know, just just in the yeah. last half decade, right. Um, but for co2 for co2 that has gone down as we've switched to natural gas which is cleaner burning than coal uh-huh. um but even coal plants because they burn more efficiently than they used to produce mm-hmm. less co2 now once again i don't think co2 is an issue right. um but uh if that's all you were worried about um then those don't solve the problem because right. they want something that's net zero. Now, think about what net zero means for you, for every, for anyone. That's where, an where, important phrase. Where was, where was, when was America last at net zero? Before the Industrial Revolution started. Yeah, around the 1820s or so. Yeah. Think about what life was like for the average person under net zero. It was so efficient. People were just lying around in hammocks, you know, reaping the benefits. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Manna fell like from heaven. Yeah, and uh, lions laid down with lambs. And yeah, exactly. You didn't. You didn't that. have to get up before the sun was up and start plowing and tending right. the animals and go to bed as the sun set with no light. Yeah, uh, you know, burning whale oil. By the way, um, in your in your uh, cabin. Uh, no one was dying of all sorts of diseases. The right. indoor plumbing was great back then. Oh, wait, there was none. Um, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, but that's where we have to be technologically for net zero, for net zero. Pretty interesting. And, uh, 
the self-driving cars are supposed to replace your ability to have your own car soon. And they're, they're outlawing certain appliances now. Small internal combustion engines are being outlawed. Um, gas What's interesting cars. is they're very selective about this outlawing of appliances. Let's, let's just think about one. This is, this is an interesting case study. Natural gas. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to have a natural gas stove. They don't want you to have a natural gas furnace. They don't want you to have natural gas anything, even right. if it's cheaper, even if it's more efficient. Right. And so they're passing laws, banning them. Yes. New York passed a law. No natural gas in all new buildings. Except, you always got to look for the exceptions, right? What are the exceptions for this law? Well, commercial kitchens. Right. Why? Why, Why commercial kitchens? In fact, when you when you go, get above New York City and you start looking at where heat is rising from, mm-hmm. you know where CO two is really going off. It's the commercial kitchens. Why exempt them? Well, all those rich New Yorkers, you know, the wealthy guys that are making these laws for the rest of us, they mm-hmm. like to eat at fine dining establishments. Right. They don't want they don't want uh, celebrity chefs to move their restaurants out of town. Um, they exempted them in. California, when they did, oh, no, 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 not for you, uh, um, Emerald, not for you, uh, you know, pick your Wolfgang Puck. No, 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 Gordon Ramsay, you can keep your restaurant. We'll let you right. have all the natural gas you want. It's for the everybody else. And so yet they claim they're getting rid of natural gas. This is the reason in New York, because it's unhealthy for you. Yes, exactly. So it's not unhealthy for Emerald and, uh, and all those people that work for him, you don't care about their health because they use natural gas a lot more than the average person. They're just they willing to sacrifice even more them. at risk. Yeah, they're willing to sacrifice them for yeah. a good meal. Right, right. It's moving toward a feudal system, basically. Yeah. Where you have the nobility that you just described and everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And the other thing that I'll bring up, and it's probably in the category of stuff that is not known to most people, but there are real alternative energies that threaten to be able to produce uh, plenty of power with no input and no pollution at all. And all the people that actually are ready to demonstrate that and do, they commit suicide and are helped along with that. And we have several instances, you know, for example, hydrogen uh, internal combustion, which has CO, not CO2, but water vapor coming out the tailpipe. That was demonstrated all over well, the country. Uh, hydrogen's, but it's very expensive to do. No, and, he, he found out how to not have that problem. And and I should point out, water vapor is the biggest greenhouse gas of all. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's just not. <laughs> so they're not putting out CO2. What are they putting out? The dominant greenhouse gas in the atmosphere, water vapor. Right. I guess. So, I mean, I- there is no there is no technology. There is no so-called green energy, not a single one, if by green energy you mean has no environmental impact whatsoever. Right. No inputs. Even even for the greenest energy, it takes materials to make it, to yeah. construct it, mm-hmm. to operate it, to keep it operating. Those are resources. Those have impacts. Right. They come from somewhere. Uh, and they do have outputs. So, um, it, it, what, really when you, when you want to talk about green energy, what you should really talk about is be making apples to apples comparison, not apples to oranges. Oh, well, coal is dirty. 
well, okay, what do you mean? Well, it p- puts out pollution. Well, more than a windmill at, at the point of produ- energy production, not mm-hmm. at the point of construction or <laughs> mining for the rare earth. Right, you know, right, yeah, you right. always have to do a, a full uh, impact assessment. Yeah. If you audit the whole thing, then like you just said, the coal and the petrochemical production is actually very clean. Yeah, relative to what we're replacing them with. And more importantly to me, uh, they work. Yeah. They, they've been proven uh wind wind works when i call wind the goldilocks of power if there's too little wind it's not blowing oh yeah if yeah. it's blowing too fast right. it's not turn you have to shut them down or they shake themselves to death and destroy themselves the wind speeds have to be just right so, so the, out, the outlook of what would happen if this green movement is successful in the Western countries, for example, how does that look? Let's say they get all their laws passed and everything is. Pretty- no, yeah, if they get all their laws passed, we'll be back to the 1820s. <laughs> right. You know, and- but, you know, it won't be that bad. It's just that we, we will. Have you been to Venezuela lately? Uh, no, I haven't had time to go down there recently. Yeah, my, my, my wife's family's from Venezuela uh-huh. and they have the largest oil reserves largest oil reserves in the Americas and maybe the world. Right. And they used to get, they used to have really, really reliable electricity. Now they destroyed their industry, not through green energy. But the point is they are a modern society that doesn't any longer have reliable energy. That's what you would, what what America would look like. So the current power outages for hours at a day, refrigerators that where your meat goes, your, your meat and vegetables go bad. Right. Um, so you have to cook them all at once and then you just eat stews over days and hope that doesn't go bad. Uh, and, and I, and I'm, and I, and I point this out. This is my, my wife's family that's living this. Mm-hmm. I see it. I'm, I'm not making this up. Right. I'm not, I'm not, it's not an assumption on my part. Yeah. Look at their power service. Um, they are a modern society. They're not living in wicker huts and, uh, um, most of them don't have, uh, most of them have some form of indoor plumbing. Um, but it's not what we become accustomed to. And I don't know many people that want to live that way. Right. So there's a choice nationally to make and internationally of which direction to go. And I'm assuming that, um, Heartland and the organization that you're particularly directing yeah. uh, have a position on that and, and work that they're doing. You want to say what's going on with them? Well, you know, we're fighting this tooth and nail. We we don't want government mandating. We don't want the federal government mandating what types of power sources are used to generate electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want the states to take offline reliable energy and replace it with unreliable energy. Uh, we don't think the government has any role whatsoever in telling us what our cars should look like and how much fuel they should use right. or what type of fuel that is. Um, if, if there, there are, I think on the order of 70 models right now that get over 40 miles per gallon, mm-hmm. not a single one of them is in the top 10 of sales. People have spoken with their choices. You know what the top selling vehicle has been for, I think going over 30 years now. Know what? The Ford F-150 pickup truck. Wow. Gas prices go up. They sell Ford F-150s. 
gas prices go down, they sell it. Ford F-150s. You know what the, the second best-selling vehicle was last year in America and in the top five for the last 10 or 20 years? No, what? Chevy Silverado. Oh, another pickup. Another pickup. Last year's third best-selling vehicle and also a perennial top 10, Ram pickup. The top three were all pickup trucks. Energy efficiency is not foremost on people's minds when they go out because no one, no one who buys a truck believes that they are getting the most fuel-efficient vehicle on the road today. Well, the other thing is... Not being full here. There's not a shortage of fuel or or oil unless you shut it down and don't drill for it. Not artif- yeah, you get some artificial shortages, uh, but, but, but there's not a, a geological shortage right now. Right. Um, and, and, and the, but the point is, there's no reason the government should tell me that I shouldn't drive a Ford pickup if I want to, that I should drive uh, uh, <laughs> the Ford electric truck, which they're right. being brought on because of government, uh, you know, anticipation of future government restrictions, yeah. uh, which they are losing $60,000 per vehicle sold on. How do you, I can't even imagine how you lose $60,000 vehicle sold and stay afloat. Well, they're staying afloat because it's all mm-hmm. being subsidized by their gasoline vehicles. But more importantly, how much must it cost to make that truck? Right. If they lose $60,000 for everyone they sell and they're selling them for $80,000. And what happens when the battery won't work anymore? Oh, well, <laughs> you've, you've got a nice big uh, yard, yard ornament is what you've got. Yeah. Because you know no how ornament. many people want used electric vehicles after the batteries are shot? Costs more think- to replace the battery pack than it does to, to, that the vehicle's worth. Yeah, exactly. Now you're talking about how far we came from normal education, the same thing as normal government. Because in America, there used to be a country that was based on the understanding that government was only there to protect the individual rights of people, in both the borders and within the country. Yeah, to protect us from foreign invasion and from, from, uh, from, uh, you know, I won't say crime. The federal government's role wasn't crime production. It was to protect the foreign borders and to decide disputes is what it was, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's um, we had a court system to decide disputes. Other than yeah. that, everything was supposed to be left to the states or the people, as the I, I think it's the Tenth Amendment says, the states or the people therein. Exactly. And you can't skirt it by setting up an agency and saying, well, that's not us, so they can do other things. Yeah, that's right. Almost all of them are illegal. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, somehow, somehow, America got along for two hundred years, more than two hundred years, without a Department of Education. Yeah. And have our test scores and uh, have we improved relative to the rest of the nation? I mean, relative to the rest of the world, since we created that great Department of Education that sucks up billions of dollars each year and sets and all it does is set mandates for the states that have nothing to do with education. No. Uh, we we got along for more than two hundred years. This it didn't happen till till Carter, without a Department of Energy, without the government telling us anything about how we used our energy. There is no income tax until nineteen thirteen. Yeah. So I mean, somehow uh, we got along just fine without these departments, and now we're told we can't do without them at all. Yeah, it's a very strange situation. Yeah. So in general, what does Heartland do? And well, we're a think tank. We do research uh, on both state and federal matters. We examine um, 
basically, we examine laws mm-hmm. and we try and help shape better laws or say where the government should stay out of lawmaking altogether. Uh, we do it based on the principle that people should be free to make choices for themselves and that certainly if the government gets involved in something, it shouldn't be doing things that are destroying the economy and restricting uh, economic freedom. Right, right. So um, we, we stick mostly to economic matters. Uh, we advise state lawmakers. We advise the federal government. And we when we're not talking about laws proposed or being considered, we spend a lot of time analyzing laws that are already on the books and saying, I'll be honest, we don't often say, boy, this is a good law. <laughs> but that's one we should keep. We, we don't often find that. We spend a lot of time criticizing existing laws for either doing things badly. We, mm-hmm. we, we don't dispute that, that, you know, that maybe we should be doing these things, but they're doing things badly. Or for saying that they shouldn't be doing these things at all, at least at the federal level. And if the states are doing it, that there are good ways and bad ways of going about doing it. Within Heartland, what's the organization that you're directing, the center? The Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. Yeah. So we work on, so I I do the environment, energy, climate, Mm -hmm. but we also do health care. We also do budget and taxes. We look at crime. Um, so we cover a variety of topics. I'm not the guy that covers those other topics. That's not me. Uh, but we have good people. And if you want to go to www.heartland.org, mm-hmm. you can sign up for our publications. You can look at what we do. You can look at the range of public policy issues that we cover. Um, or if you just like me uh, and you, you, you care about the environment – all you right. have to do is sign up for my stuff. And then when you get the chance, go online and say great things about it. And How do we sign up for your stuff? Well, you go to www.heartland.org. And yeah. then you pick and choose what you want to be uh, uh, signed up for. Okay. And what about your podcast? Because I thought that was great. Well, they're on the, they're on the website too. So we, we do a daily podcast. Not, I'm, I'm not the one that has it every day. Environment comes up typically once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you go to heartland.org and you go under podcasts and you, you select it and you can hear the whole range of them or you can sign up to receive them uh, daily on your, you know, you, 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 Apple device or other devices. Right. You can, you can get them sent to you. So if you don't want to go on the website, you can, you know, uh, download them to your, uh, uh, device and, uh, listen to them on your way to work or your way from work. If you're still one of those people that commutes to front work daily. Yeah. Do you, do you at this point feel that there's anything that individuals can do if they don't want to deindustrialize society and all, everything that goes with that? Well, you know, a few years ago, I, I like to say reality matters and eventually, uh, things will get so bad that, that, uh, people will say, uh, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore and stand up and fight it. Uh, but, uh, after the COVID pandemic, <clears throat> I saw a lot of sheep. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of sheep since then. And so I'm not so, um, sanguine about that prospect. Um, if you really care about these things, uh, you know, voting's, one thing you can do, getting involved, getting educated, showing up, uh, not just it's sometimes it's too late by the time you go to the voting booth, maybe showing up at your right. local uh, elections and getting involved in the parties. Uh, I don't endorse either party. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, get involved in local elections, get involved in local property matters and bond issues, uh, and support organizations. You know, look, I'm going to make a shameless plug here. Support the Heartland Institute and organizations like the Heartland Institute who are out there fighting for you. Right. Right. Good summary. Um, okay. I really appreciate it. I think in a way, you know, I've, I've kept you over our time. I'm sorry, but, uh, yeah, well. it's actually not that complex of an issue. I don't and think so either. Your, your graph showed the whole thing. And if you understand the, the necessity, like the most of the founders of America did and people all over the world, that freedom can't be sacrificed for so-called safety of a government that's going to take care of you or else you're not going to have either one. I agree with you 100%. Right. And, and people are going to have a chance to be tested uh, on whether they understand that in the next pandemic that's being prepared right now. You know, if I could just, I, I don't want to make another statement after this, but I want to say this. Yeah. I often hear on climate that the science is settled. Now, I, I say the science Absolutely. is never, I say the science is never settled. Uh, we, we have more reason to believe one thing than other. You know, I, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to overturn the, you know, um, the laws of conservation of energy or, uh, that the earth is going to turn out to be flat after all or, that it turns out that humors do cause Ill- an imbalance of humors do cause illnesses, not microbes and bacteria and stuff. I don't think that's going mm-hmm. to be refuted. Um, but you know, at one time they said uh, all swans were white, and then we found a black swan. So who knows what's exactly in the future? But climate science is not as settled as the Earth being round, the Sun being the center of the universe, and some of those other things that uh, used to be disputed. Um, and if you want to know one way, one good way of knowing whether the science is settled, I don't know many research dollars that flow into uh, studying the the shape of the Earth. I don't know many research dollars that still flow into research into whether the sun is the center of the universe. You mean the solar system? The, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the solar system, right. Um, I just don't, I don't know those dollars being spent. Right. And every time someone tells you the science is settled on climate and it's a climate scientist saying, look at him and straight in the face that, well, good, then we don't need to give you any more money because it's settled. I can move on to cancer research or something else because right. the science is settled. Yeah. Uh, he will start backtracking real, real quick. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, no. Earth, humans are causing, but we need to keep studying how bad it could be. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's going to start hedging then. Um, as soon as you say no more money goes to climate science because that's settled, the but science won't oxy- be settled. It's an oxymoron, right? You can't ever yeah. have real science that's settled on anything. Yeah. And one of the elements of it is no ego, no labels to defend. No absolute d- devotion to a religious idea, you know, even the shape of the earth or whatever you feel could never be disproven. You have to be open to being shown, you know. Well, you so, know, there are some people that believe, I, I, I'm not one of them, uh, but there are some people that believe that we're all, that, that none of us exist, right? That, that we're all right. uh, uh, some kind of computer uh, game. That some and the science, science would have the same attitude with that. Show me. Yeah. Prove it. Exactly. Uh, but uh, um, 
It's, but in that case, the Earth wouldn't be round, right? Because it's uh, it's it's just it's el- it would, it electrons a, in a computer game. It'd be a projection. Yeah, it'd be a projection. So, uh, you know, I, I suppose the Earth may not turn out to be round, but I don't think that's going to be the case. <laughs> if it's if it's not a solid object, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to know, tell what shape it is. What, what is it, uh, Bishop Barkley? Uh, uh, tried to refute the idea of uh, of uh, there being solid beings anyway. But you know, you, uh, can't, you can't prove really a negative that something is absolutely impossible. You can only prove that with the tools that you have, you don't know what the answer yeah. is. Well, Karl Popper said science is falsifiability. It's, 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 you test things and you test things. The better a theory explains something, the more mm-hmm. likely it is, is to be true. Right. But, but it could still be wrong. It's not a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, um, the problem with climate science is unlike the earth being round, uh, illnesses being caused by microbes, not humors mm-hmm. in the body. Um, you know, the, the sun being the center of the solar system. Uh, there's still a lot unknown. Yeah, it's still it doesn't explain things very well at all. No, most of everything is unknown, actually. Yeah. And a, a real science uh, advocate has no ego identification, you know, to, to just prove something because it would look good on their name, you know, to, yeah. to be right about something. You have to be open. Prove me wrong, which is great because then I'm closer to the truth. You know, I said one more thing. I'm going to say one more thing. Yeah. You, look, you can cut what you want. We, we have gone long, uh, but... Uh, We're not going to cut anything you can say. Here's, here's the deal. I'll tell you how bad it is. I have been on stage with six or seven climate scientists over my years. Okay. In debates. Uh, and then a couple of them, not on stage, but in uh, at conferences and uh, sessions that they attended where I got to ask them this one simple question. And this is what tells me it's really not, uh, for most of them, it's a religion, not a science. So I know what it would take to convince me that humans were causing catastrophic climate change. You know, there are conditions that if this happened and this happened and this happened, I'd say, you know what? I was wrong. Okay, good. So I ask every one of them, what would it take to convince you that the theory that humans are causing catastrophic climate change is wrong? What conditions would falsify it for you? Six of those scientists had no answer whatsoever. That's what I would expect. They, they, they couldn't think of a situation, anything that would falsify it. Right. That's not science. That's religion. It's also what, skill in adjusting data. One scientist had uh, an answer, and I don't want to name him. He's known for suing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, we were at a conference together. We actually published in the same publication that came out of this conference. Uh-huh. Uh, it was published by Cambridge. Prominent climate scientist. Um, I asked him, what would it take? And he told me, all of physics would have to be overturned. Shouldn't be a problem. I said, I said, really? The laws of conservation of energy, entropy, (laughs) all of that has to go for you to be wrong about humans causing climate change? Yes. He gave me an answer. Yeah, at least he gave you something to work. I mean, I'll give him credit for that. I think it's extreme hubris. 
I think it's an idiotic answer, but he gave me an answer, and it was a scientific answer. It's kind of another version of the others, though. It it is. He gives you something that he knows you can't do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But still, it was an answer. End of the world. Yeah, end of the world. Uh, God touches me on my forehead and says, you were wrong. And I say, oh, okay, Scott, yeah. sorry, I was wrong. Uh, sorry. Now, the, the, then there's this one There's this one scientist, and he gave me not only an answer, but I think he gave me the right answer. I think, I think there is a right answer to this question. Ooh, what's that? And he gave me that answer. Time. He said, over time, either more and more evidence will mount that the climate projections are wrong, that the models are flawed, and we have to rethink it all. But he wouldn't say how much time. Or they won't. Well, he can't say how much time. Who knows? You know, they make projections 50 years out. Right. Um, 100 years out. 400 years out. So, but it's the right answer. It's like, look, if you keep getting things wrong, yeah, pretty soon yeah. you have to reconsider the theory. Hopefully it's pretty soon. Uh, yeah, hopefully it's real soon. I mean, we're we're way past the time that all the coastal cities were supposed to be flooded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll figure it out by the next election. But I'm not uh-huh. I'm not confident. Yeah, I I think they haven't even figured out how to have the elections go back to honesty. <laughs> uh, well, that's a topic for somebody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you. I really appreciate it. It's good speaking with you. I don't know if I gave you what you wanted to wrench it in, but I yeah, I just wanted to somebody that wasn't, you know, holding on to a partisan point of view, no matter what, for either party, because I think I can't think of any advantage to parties and things like that. It's better to just be honest and no. someone who understands about science and has some background in climate, cares about the environment. You know, you checked all the boxes and uh, I really appreciate the work and the attitude. So, no, well, it's good you. speaking with you. I'm going to sign off if you don't mind and, and yeah. get back to the other things I've got to do still. Okay, everybody. That was Dr. H. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute, heartland.org, doing some really great work and is nonpartisan. I've talked to him uh, quite a bit. They've got some neat people participating over there. And uh, Dr. Burnett is the director of. Uh, Arthur B. Robinson Center for Climate and Environmental Policy. Uh, and I was really happy to find him because I was looking for somebody to talk to on environment and man-made climate change that would uh, be open to just discussing it from a non-partisan, scientific, database point of view. And I thought he did a great job, and I'd encourage people to follow his work. If you go to heartland.org and then... Look him up. Uh, he's got uh, archives of his podcast, which I was able to listen to several, and they're really good. They cover a lot of connected subjects that are very relevant from what I could tell. And uh, the main thing, why it's important about this climate change issue is it's not just an academic question, you know, like what's the correct math on it or things like that. It's It's a really survival of civilization question. And toward the end, we got down to saying, well, if the climate change religion, man-made climate change religion, uh, continues to its conclusion, then uh, 
countries that are a little bit more advanced that have put together an industrial base of energy and related resources would regress back to the 1800s. And that's not a pleasant perspective because that would be a lot of people uh, suffering and dying when in the process of that happening. So it's not a good thing, but it's way beyond that. Because if you look at uh, the laws that are being passed and proposed, as Dr. Burnett talked about, they're taking away one uh, energy source and one appliance after another. The electric car scam is has so many people that have fallen into it through no fault of their own, through the promotion of something environmentally sound. And electric cars are not environmentally sound at all. Um, and I, I mentioned at one point the existence of real alternative energy that's far better than the battery-based electric cars that are really running off coal and nuclear primarily. And if you want to know more about that, the person that I think that I've seen that's done the best work on it, most comprehensive and backed up and cross-correlated between sources and things like that is Dr. Stephen Greer. It doesn't mean that I think he's, you know, right about everything or anything, an infallible source, but he's done some great uh, work on true alternative energy, zero-point based, and uh, the hydrogen generated for internal combustion that is done with a net gain of energy. A lot of interesting stuff that he's personally seen and he's uh, he's been witness to what happens to the people that develop and try to promote these things and sell them. Stanley Meyer's not the only one. It's a lot of different uh, inventors and holders of the technology that's been reverse engineered that he talks about too. Uh, so those things exist and those are uh, violently suppressed, often with deadly force by governments, including the U.S. government. Uh, so uh, this is not all being done to save the planet. Now they want to outlaw uh, raising cattle, which don't hurt the environment at all. I mean, we had giant herds of buffalo, bison running all over uh, North America and many other parts of the world before, and they weren't ruining the climate. And I don't think they had methane bags attached to them or anything like that. They were producing uh, very deep topsoil and, you know, completely environmentally benevolent, as far as we know. I mean, obviously. So this is being done by different motives as you go up the chain of command. And near the bottom, the people are being trained for the government agencies and in the universities and places like that. They're just trained to blindly believe authority, and they think they're doing good. But high up above them in the power structure, they know what they're doing, and they know how destructive and deadly it will be for much of the population of the world. And so it's important that that gets turned around. How to do that is the real question. And I don't think it can be done with any kind of force. I think that's what they're looking for, and that would be used against the people protesting. So... It has to be some kind of awakening, and Sterling was mentioning that too. And then at a certain point, things get bad enough so that people wake up and start being more aware of what's really going on. But that needs to happen really soon, because the stage that we're at in the world right now, uh, these crises are all coming together in a confluence of events, and uh, the same people that are 
creating some of these problems in the energy field and under the guise of Green New Deal mentality and green energy are the ones behind the arms trade and things like that going to Ukraine and so many other things that it would take too long to mention. So there has to be an awakening of humanity, and it has to happen soon. Um, and it's partly educational, you know, thanks to the work of places like Heartland and what we're trying to do with some of these interviews. But it's mainly consciousness level, which has been so lost along with uh, many other basic understandings like we were talking about in education that even the term consciousness is not even remembered much anymore. That needs to be brought back. Self-awareness is what it comes down to because the degree of awareness that you're capable of having of the outside world and events is very correlated to the degree of awareness of who you actually are and dropping all these fake labels and forgetting about the partisan stuff and, you know, what belief system you're in that you have to defend against everybody else. Just becoming aware of reality is a whole new field in itself that's been, it's not actually new, but it, it is encompassing everything else. So we're looking at how that can happen and everybody's doing their part in so many different ways. And one of the messages, I guess the bottom line is that what you do as an individual, even if you're one person out of eight billion in the world, is really important and we all affect each other. So anything you can do to raise your own awareness level, your own consciousness, is uh, something that's going to help everybody. And if we help work together, support each other in that, and be willing to not have our personal science settled, but be open to learning and finding out where we're wrong, which is always beneficial, then we have a chance and things will get better as soon as possible. And so one of the things we're trying to do with that is the work of Planetary Healing Club. And that meets up live on Saturdays, U.S. time. But anybody all over the world can be a participant in that. And we talk about some of these things, not just consciousness, but health-related items and world events-related items and things like that. You're invited if you feel uh, inclined to take a, a uh, intentional approach to this and try to upgrade your own upgrade your own uh, physical mental spiritual emotional state of being that you carry around every day because it gets very powerful as it gets more concentrated and you drop the fake identities and the fake labels and it do- doesn't take that many waking up to that degree to make a major change in where things are going so you're invited for that that's planetaryhealingclub.com and uh, all our shows are accessible on lostartsradio.com. Um, nice to hear from you at any point. If you've got suggested people that you want to see us interview or just feedback on any of the broadcasts, feel free to write to info at lostartsradio.com, and we read all of them and appreciate your input very much. So I think that's about it. Men- mentioned pretty much everything. Um realize that what's being memorized in school is not necessarily related to what's true. And you have to do your own investigation, find out what's true for you, and then learn to apply it and live it. And the results of that can be quite life transformative. So I'm encouraging you to not 
not limit your idea of what you can do. It's unlimited unless you believe in the limits yourself and you can drop those whenever you're ready. So thanks for being with us. I'm glad you got to meet Sterling, Dr. Burnett, and uh, look forward to seeing you shortly. Take care. Every day I've been waiting for the sunshine It's been coming my way And oh, oh, oh It's been coming my way I've been dancing at a hold down Love to chew the fat with folk I've been sipping on the moonshine I've been telling dirty jokes And oh, oh, oh It's been coming my way Coming my way 